0: Well comrade,
1: what now?
0: Straightforward conversation. <laughs> we are robots. This is how robots talk. And therefore we are computing. We are computing and analyzing. <laughs> 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 uh, oh. I never know what thro- what curveball you're gonna throw me, but I just gotta respond in kind.
1: <laughs> I feel like most of the time you're the one throwing me curveballs, so <laughs> I'm just trying to do my best to keep up here.
0: You're, you're giving me material, and that's all I really need to to jumpstart. That and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the fuel of between the gutters
1: (laughs) you get hopped up on your cocaine and then you wind up in between the gutters literally
0: i haven't slept for four days Uh welcome to Between the Gutters, where we tell this where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host Albert, and with us is our other co-host. Yo, what's up everybody? I'm the
1: other co-host. My name is Drew. How you doing? Yo
0: yo, everybody. This week on on this episode of Between the Gutters, we are going back to our read-through our annual read through of deadly class monthly read through of deadly class, I guess. There we go. That's more accurate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've been following along with us, we are in volume seven, I believe. I think Correct. that's right. right. Yes. Yep. We are in volume seven. So, you know, come join us, see what we think. Do we have thoughts? Do we have feelings? Will we uh, articulate it in words? Come find out.
1: All right. You ready to find out? sure oh man okay Okay. uh shall we get yeah go ahead get on with it let's do it we are covering deadly class volume seven love like blood deadly class as usual is co-created by writer rick remender and artist wes craig colored by jordan boyd littered and logo designed by our dude russ wutan and edited by Sebastian Garner.
0: Ain't Today, no fun like the Wu-Tang Kwans. Wood, wood.
1: Today, yeah. we are covering Volume 7, which collects issues 32 through 35. The trade paperback was originally released in August of 2018.
0: Nice. nice. Anything
1: you want to talk about before we go into our
0: usual issue by issue commentary i guess the one thing that's striking about this particular volume at least to me was it's a shorter volume but it still feels like a lot of stuff happened so that's that's my one note did you have anything
1: yeah, I noticed that too, the issue, or this v- trade only had uh, four issues for some reason. I feel like most exactly. of the other ones have had five at least. So I guess from a story standpoint, it didn't feel like yeah. there was less story. But I I guess from in terms of like the amount of pages, uh, you could kind of tell that it was a little faster to read this one than some yeah. of the other ones.
0: Well, I guess, incidentally, I'd say that, and I am I might be remembering this wrong, but I feel like last month's volume was actually larger by one issue. So last yeah. month's volume was like six issues, and normally they are about five, like you said. So it evens out, but I'm sure that it was a matter of just splicing the story in just the right place for pacing. That sort of thing.
1: It could be. It could be. I really don't know how they decided to break up some of the volumes because at times it just feels like it could be one continuous story, you know? Like there aren't necessarily always these distinct uh, breaks in
0: the narrative. Yeah. Because I was going to say the last issue or the last volume ends with Marcus pointing the gun. Uh, Victor mm-hmm. after they've broken into their room and this volume picks up right from there. So if they really wanted to, technically they could have put that last issue in here and it would have felt, it would have felt right at home, right? Like they could have made this mm-hmm. a five five issue volume and the same could have gone for the the one before it. But I imagine that they wanted to, Fill the trade in a way that would maximize the impact of how the issue ends or the volume ends. So, the idea that the volume ends with Marcus and Victor facing off before you know the next trade comes out if you're reading it through the trades, that's that's a heck of a cliffhanger to leave it on.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I don't remember. Well, I don't know because I didn't read the series as it was being serialized. So for all I know, perhaps there was a gap in between the release of these issues, between the release of issues 31 and 32. Maybe they just put out the trade during that gap period.
2: That's true, too.
0: You're right, because uh, quite quite a few Remender books... Well... Quite a few books for several authors not just remember uh sometimes they take breaks in between things because you know for a variety of reasons so uh yeah for all we for all i know it it could have been a, a hard cut off point before they picked the book up again somewhere down the line
1: yeah because i think this book so I think the previous trade, I want to say it came out in December of 2017. Mm-hmm. And this volume came out in August of 2018. So that's an eight-month difference for just four, four more issues. So I don't know. I would have to you know, do some sleuthing and look up all the release dates to be sure. But I don't think... I was that curious. <laughs> I didn't want to do yeah. that. Do all that yeah. work.
0: Maybe if I was if if we were reading it as it was coming out, we'd definitely notice it. But seeing as how we're yeah. really more just interested in the reading experience after the fact, we're we're I, I guess we're the comic book equivalent of binge readers at this point. Um
1: Yeah, yeah. we're kind of uh, self
0: controlled binge because. We didn't binge all
1: fifty six issues or whatever all in one right, go right. we're we're spacing it out. We're
0: limiting ourselves to one volume a month, right but but yeah, i mean it's it's not putting us in a position where I'm not so curious about it that I'd have to go back and do the extra research, but it's just something you notice, yeah,
1: it probably slightly changes the reading experience. Like, I think somebody who was reading it on a monthly basis at the time it was coming out probably had to deal with, you know, the bigger gaps in between cliffhangers. And I I do think when you have to experience those big gaps and it's not by your own choice, you're forced to because the creators haven't put out the next issue yet, I think that does kind of affect your I don't want to say your expectations but I think it affects the experience of reading because like for us we just have the comfort of reading four issues back to back you know without having to take any breaks we could just read the entire trade in one sitting whereas the people who are reading it as it was being serialized you know that gap in between issues it can kind of Play with your mind a little bit, I think, because it makes you expect something that maybe you don't get. And then I think a lot of people, when they're faced with a cliffhanger in a story and they've got like a whole month or even longer to imagine what the resolution could be when they finally do get it, if that final product doesn't match up what they imagined... Sometimes I could, I think people do get disappointed, or them throwing the book
0: down in disgust. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they've set up the expectations to be so high in their minds that once they're faced with reality, there really is no reality that can live up to what they imagined it (laughs) could have been. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, I feel like that does happen. I hate people. (laughs) (laughs) i hate i hate this straw man reader that you've set up in my mind (laughs) he disgusts me well
1: that's the best thing about doing this podcast with you is that i get to create these straw man readers that hypothetically could exist but end up generating very real
0: hate from you yeah. <laughs> and it gives me something to direct my anger towards as opposed to my family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you always angry at
1: your family and friends?
0: No, I'm saying you're giving me something to be angry about because if I didn't have that all I would be doing is being hostile towards my family and friends. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so so me coming up You've with given these me Scrammen. an outlet. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you a healthy outlet for your exactly. Anger. Otherwise, there's no telling what I'd do to to the people in my direct orbit. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Albert, you, you you missed it. He just he was so mad. He didn't know what to do. I just saw him take a step on some poo in the middle of the street, and then he walked directly into my house. <laughs> And he was dragging his feet, too. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't give him an outlet for his anger.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, man. It's
1: like Anyways. you've trained Pepper to take a dump on command just so you could do that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Everything I do, every breath I take is in service of me being petty and uh, hostile to towards everyone and everything in my immediate vicinity. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Huh. This is really making me reevaluate some things. Anyways, <laughs> uh shall we begin our read through? Let us begin. All right. Deadly class, love like blood, issue 32. Marcus Marcus stands before Victor with his gun aimed directly at him when they are interrupted by the Yakuza. The two put their feud temporarily on hold as, for the time being, they are going to have to rely on one another in order to survive. As the two fight for their lives, Victor reveals that Quan was the one who betrayed Saya and that she's still alive somewhere out there. The other kids break into smaller groups and attempt to survive the onslaught. Tisawi and Zenzel go into hiding. The stress, the stress getting to Zinzel and her mental, st- and the stress getting to Zinzel, deteriorating her mental state. Helmet and Petra make a run for it, but Helmet is wounded by a shot to the gut. Maria and Kwan take shelter in a local shop when she confronts him and accuses him of treachery, having figured out from the multiple coincidences, all of which have Quan at the center. Marcus and Victor lead the Yakuza away from Brandy Lynn and head towards the wharves. Having killed the final Yakuza, the two immediately go for each other's throats. And that is the end of uh, issue 32. Yeah. Okay. I want to start off with the first page
1: of this issue because I thought it was a really good looking first page of an issue. Mm-hmm. It's a splash page. That's kind of broken up down the middle with text. But on one, on the left side, you've got a shot of Willy in happier times. And then on the right side, you've got a shot of Saya. And then the in the middle, there's this design that kind of looks like a lightning bolt and some text, some narration in there. And it's interesting to me to see the story pick up. With the flashback, or just like a moment of Marcus reminiscing, it kind of feels like this opening page functions as a major line of demarcation in the story. Because this is volume Mm 7, we know it's 12 volumes, so it's like the second half of the series. So it seems kind of fitting. And you have two of the people who were most influential in the beginning of the story depicted on the page with Marcus talking about I don't know. I guess he, he's kind of like just reflecting on what's been going on and then the page after it you get these flashback scenes of Marcus and Willie in happier times where they're just chilling or goofing around in a, a chemistry class or I don't know if it's chemistry. It could be like poison making class or something. Right, <laughs> right. There's a shot of him in a in a concert club or something with Saya and hanging out with their friends and everything. and It, it all just kind of like leads up to well it goes through some of the difficulties that the three friends faced earlier in the story and then uh, by the time we get to the third page we're back to the present and it picks up the cliffhanger from the previous issue with Marcus standing over a bloodied brandy while he's pointing his pistol at Victor Right, I guess right. one of the things that kind of surprised me, well, I guess it didn't really surprise me, but as this as this volume goes on, it kind of becomes more and more dubious to me. <laughs> but at the end of last issue, he stabs Brandy and we just see her body all messed up and even in this issue, she's still pretty messed up. Her body is in a lying in a pool of her own blood. She's got a knife stabbed deep into her torso like through her stomach and she just looks all sorts of messed up but then turns out she's alive right now mm-hmm. but even though uh you know she's got this big wound and Marcus still kicks her while she's down once these ninjas come in she's kind of able to like get up and run around on her own <laughs> and like
0: right she pulls right. the
1: knife out of her own stomach and and slashes somebody with it. it. It's kind of, I guess, it's not too out of the ordinary for something like deadly class because we've seen a lot of crazy action. It's very comic booky in that sense, but it's also one of those things where it feels like, like that should have killed her, you know? Like, she, or it's at a least, little yeah, yeah. It's like a little convenient that she can pull the knife out of her own stomach and then start slashing people
0: and then run around with them. Yeah. It's a little extreme in the sense that real people aren't that sturdy. Um, Well, you know, I, I'm sure there are outliers and incidents where under duress and in a life or death situation, a person can lift a truck off a baby or something like that. Right. But, right. It's just um, for, hard
1: to for, believe that a teenage girl could survive that kind of wound and then do
0: all this other athletic stuff. Exactly. It it reminds me of a Tarantino film in that sense, in that he puts this this extreme level of violence into the stories. And even though, realistically, the characters should be dead in some instances, when you know they're missing limbs or they're just stabbed in the guts or whatever. But it's done to one, heighten the sense of drama and two to misdirect you from whatever's going on, right? But mm-hmm. like you said, it, it serves a convenience so that you can have this character come back and still function because she's not technically dead. Right, she still mm-hmm. has a role to play in the story overall. Um, but that being said, I can kind of ignore it because all the other stuff is more important than the logic of me asking, Is she really able to survive that? Really, is she <laughs> really can she can she really live through that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, we've already seen people come back from the dead, so it, it shouldn't be that yeah. shocking. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things where sometimes, I guess, the plot dictates whether some character is essential to the story, so that kind of makes them... Uh, it justifies their resurrection. like spe- exactly. Specifically, I'm talking about Marcus and even Maria. Yeah. Whereas characters like Billy and Willie... You know, there's no resurrection for them, at least as far as I can tell.
0: I'm pretty sure Reminder understands the fundamental rules of his universe, right? So he's willing to skate to the very edge of death with these characters and just take it to the furthest extent of believability without actually killing someone, right? So he'll, he'll use poisons, he'll use... The technique of stabbing someone in just the right places so it looks like death but that they're not dead things like that right but Mm -hmm. if it ever gets to the point where someone gets their head cut off and then in the next volume or a couple of volumes down the line they're just hunky-dory and they have like a neck brace or something and they're like yeah i'm fine now then okay then we'll know that he's just given up on it (laughs) he's not even (laughs) trying either that or he's intentionally trying to do something comedic. that's true that's true if he leads into it and makes a joke out of it then fine okay like it's a it's a choice right yeah. it's not it's not a cho- choice that's dictated by laziness which is the worst thing that you can do yeah exactly exactly yeah. you, you uh,
1: reminded me of that one story in the marvel knights garth ennis punisher when the russian comes back to life remember that
0: oh yeah, yeah yeah, where he came back to life grafted to the cyborg body of a buxom babushka yeah exactly because <laughs> he had his regular head but he was yeah, yeah. attached to this like yeah like a, a i i couldn't a babushka is the only way for me to describe it, right? Like and and this lady's body was just super durable and sturdy too. She was a cyber organic babushka. Yeah, that was it's definitely pretty, meant for comedy. Exactly. At at that point, it, it's no longer about the rules. He's willing he's made a choice and it wasn't a choice based on laziness. He did it purposely because he was trying to be tongue-in-cheek. He did it for the yucks. Yeah, he did it for the yucks. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah, and I just wanted to mention one other thing about what you were describing in the previous page where um, you have that one whole page that are broken up into panels and each panel sort of gets smaller and smaller as you go down the page. Yeah. And you... As you're watching it, it sort of denotes the fracturing of their friendship over time, right? So the very top panel, you see him and Willie; they're just messing around in that uh, chemical class. And then, uh, I think that second panel is him and Saya from one of the earlier volumes, that from the night that they go and party out on the town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure if it's the same one, but uh, you know, I, I, we get we get the idea. It's 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 the key moment that their friendship begins to take a turn because the whole thing between the whole love triangle thing between Saya, Marcus, and Willie end up happening in large part due to him getting closer to Saya.
2: Mm-hmm. And then,
0: uh, you know, the the third panel down is even smaller still but it's broken up into four panels this time and it's just them doing drugs uh on a rooftop or something like that and and then uh, uh, eventually as you go further like i said as you go further down the page and as their relationship becomes more contentious the panels break into smaller and smaller panels and it's interesting to look at this cuz it having read the previous 6 volumes and, and having read them uh, fairly quickly together, I, I'd say that even though we know that Willie and Marcus are best friends and they have these moments together uh, that really solidify their friendship with each other, we we didn't really see too many moments of just them in the classroom doing You know being friends right like like that one scene at the top Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to me that they kind of fill out those little moments here uh you know moments that were left to our imagination in previous volumes and and now that we're seeing this page as kind of a diagram of the trajectory of their relationship from it being its strongest to the point where it all falls apart um it it ends right here, all the way at the bottom, with this one square panel that juts out uh, over the the grid that exists, and it's just a close up of Willie's dead face, and you know, just kind of the ultimate uh, culmination of where everything went, which was the death of his friend. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think the order of that page is uh, really interesting to look at and really well laid out. And yeah, I, I I appreciated that they gave us these extra little moments here within these panels to kind of fill in the gaps of what our imagination didn't necessarily get to see when we were reading the the book, you know?
1: Yeah. I think it's a really cleverly designed page. It's a good way to show to use, it's a good way to use the form of the comics page to show mm-hmm. how memory works. And, you know, like there's this, with the way that the panels keep on shrinking towards the end, even though, you know, some of the ones at the very bottom of the page are blacked out, gives you this sense or it seems to imply that all of these thoughts are going through Marcus's mind's eye while he's, you know, in this deadly life or death situation in the present, you know, like the speed of thought, basically, like he's thinking all of these things probably subconsciously while he's pointing the gun at Victor and gives us the reader just enough context uh, to, to have an idea of his state of mind and what's going on. And it also does the useful storytelling work, of reminding us about Willy. Because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. later on in the story, in this volume, the specter of Willy does play a pretty big role.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to talk about what you said earlier, about how this is sort of a key moment in the series overall. Because, like you said, we're on volume six, essentially halfway through the book. Seven. And, or seven, yeah. Um, and, and you're you're right. As we even go so far as to see later on in this issue, the specter of Willy does play a pretty large role in determining where Marcus will ultimately go by the end of this story. Mm-hmm or uh, definitely in this volume if not all the way to the end of the story uh, like we we have yet to get to that part yet um but for this volume this is the line of demarcation in the sand that determines it's it's Marcus taking agency over himself and deciding this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to be yeah
2: yeah
1: Then when the ninjas and these, or whatever you call them, I don't even know if you would call them ninjas, but these uh, Yakuza goons that are dressed yeah. like uh, road warrior rejects, or they look kind of like the mutants from Dark Knight Returns.
0: <laughs> you know what else they also kind of reminded me of? They reminded me of, do you remember the Piranacons? <laughs> oh, from Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the one panel kind of reminds me of them and the sharp, sharp teeth.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They all got these crazy sharp teeth. It's pretty wild stuff. Yeah. Like if these guys came at me in real life, I'd be pretty freaked out. I'd be terrified. Mm -hmm. But when the action starts, it's pretty fun to look at just from a visual perspective. I feel like Wes Craig does a really great job drawing the action he just has this penchant for slanted panel layouts and he uses some really small panels to emphasize a lot of moments of deep impact in terms of like physical impact and then this is the, in this chaos this is where marcus and victor decide to temporarily shelve their differences to ward off all of these goons and it just gets really chaotic But the artwork Mm -hmm. is just fun to look at. Like, there's a lot of movement and impact. I think Wes Craig does a great job of drawing, like, the panels that he draws. They're the moments that are either, like, right before something impactful happens or right the moment after something impactful happens. You know, it like there's a trick to drawing good action and fight comics and not everybody does that in a really visceral or engaging or exciting way, but Wes Craig
0: really nails it. Yeah. This volume in particular is very action heavy. So we do see a lot of this technique done in various different ways over and over again. And they, you uh, know, they find a way to keep it fresh each time. mm-hmm I, also wanted to mention the one battle here when we see Maria and tasawe and uh, Zenzel, and they're taking on a bunch of Yakuza, taking on a bunch of Yakuza right out in the open. There's this one scene where they're all just kind of fighting for their lives. And then you turn the page and you just see Tasaue comes flying out on a skateboard and he's just going, it's him in silhouette going, skate and destroy. Yeah. There's something pretty cool about that. (laughs) Yeah. You know? It's a great page turn. (laughs) It really is. It's a great
1: panel, just a great image. It's something that would be a a really cool sticker to
0: put on your on the back of your computer or something. Yeah. And just the way that he looks as he's flying out there, there is something youthful and rebellious about that that just fills you with the spirit of rebellion just Mm -hmm. watching him fly out like that it's i like it i like it a lot yeah yeah it's really well done yeah and then another big moment in this is when we see Well, there are a few moments because eventually the the gang all breaks up because everyone goes their own way to try to find a way to survive. So we see the moment where Zinzel and Tsaue, they've been getting kind of closer together, but we're also beginning to realize that Zinzel is teetering on the edge because for so much of the past couple of volumes, she's very much seemed like a person who's had it together maybe someone we even question um why they're at the school at all because she doesn't really seem to fit in in terms of their in terms of her uh personality and it isn't until last uh the last volume i forget which issue where she goes ape and just lets out her inner Mm -hmm. you know her her inner fighter and she just goes crazy on on some of these yakuza guys, um, but we're we're seeing it really take a toll on her here. So she, there's the scene where she and Tsubame, they've they've gotten kind of close and she they're hiding like in a cupboard or something, and we've seen everything that happened with the school and they're just hiding out and she just really looks unhinged.
1: yeah in she addition... looks like she's losing her mind She's got the shakes she's her eyes are her the way that her eyes are drawn her pupils are really tiny she's got tears coming out and then like the biggest thing is that Tasawi
0: is looking at her and he looks kind of freaked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah in addition to that, we also get a scene where Maria and Quan are together. And to the reader, we've known that Quan's kind of been trouble uh, for, for everybody because he's essentially led all these conflicting forces here, all these forces that are trying to kill Marcus, and really all of them because of their proximity to Marcus. And Maria is astute enough to pick up on it, and she confronts him right here on the spot. So that's kind of a big moment here,
2: yeah, so it's one of those
1: moments where you need to have these kind of smaller, quiet moments, even though the entire issue is this one gigantic fight scene, basically right right you you gotta have some story in there, right.
0: Uh, Another page that I like is actually page 20 and 21, you know, just speaking of fight scenes. In page 20, we're watching as Marcus and Victor are teamed up with, oh, and Brandy Lynn, they're all teamed up together and they're just shooting their way out of this hotel. And you're watching just the motion of them all throughout the, uh, the balcony as they're running around. And it's pretty chaotic and it's really cool looking. And then when you turn the page, you get this double page splash panel of them just all flying out. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, I feel like I want to say it's like from Teenage Ninja Turtles also, but I'm not 100% sure.
1: You think it's a direct homage to a, a famous splash? I think
0: so. Like I, I feel f- like, I- yeah, it feels like it could be, but I can't quite place it I want to say it's one of the covers where the turtles it's I want to say it's the cover where like all the turtles are jumping out and they're just pot uh cutting through a mound of foot soldiers or something like that I'd have to look for it because it's it's like an iconic image but I just don't remember it off the top of my head as of right now yeah yeah, I know.
1: Yeah, I know what you're saying cuz this whole sequence or maybe you could even say the whole issue is influenced by Frank Miller. Like the mm-hmm. text itself, Marcus's narration, he acknowledges the debt to Frank Miller's comics here, you know? Like I felt like Marcus narration as he thinks about Frank Miller comics, I feel like that's probably Rick Remender acknowledging the influence of Frank Miller on the story, all these ninjas, the the Yakuza designs that kind of look like the mutants from DKR, the, I guess even some of the artistic choices, like the panel you mentioned with uh, Tosawi jumping in with the skateboard where he's in silhouette. Like, Yeah, it kind of feels like quite a bit of this, action is inspired by classic frank miller comics like dkr or daredevil in particular and if you bring up the ninja turtles uh comparison then that kind of tracks too because the turtles were pretty indebted to f- frank miller's stuff
0: right right I'd i'd have to look for it if i ever find it i'll i'll post it up but you're right. If it's not the turtles, it's it's it might be some Frank Miller thing. I just don't remember. Because the, the image here looks super familiar. I just can't place it. Yeah. Yeah. And then further down, another cool splash page is the moment where Maria and Quan are hiding, hiding out in the store. And a bunch of the Yakuza come in and... They just have to work together in order to survive, even though she's accused him of being this traitor. Traitor! And they do this thing where they just take a bunch of ropes and they're just... I don't even know what the logistics of it is, but it just feels like they're just throwing a bunch of ropes around. And then once everyone's in position, they're just like, pull with all your strength. And (laughs) They're just... Choking all four of them simultaneously at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty funny, pretty clever way to kill these
1: guys. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Rolento's super combo from
0: Street Fighter Alpha. What 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 is that? I don't I don't know that character. So so paint he me a was picture. A,
1: he was a guy who was originally from the Final Fight games. He was one of the enemy bosses in Final Fight but they brought him over I think starting in Street Fighter Alpha 2 or maybe he was in Alpha 1 and I forget but in the Alpha series he had this super combo where he like basically shot a little rope down at the enemy's feet and if you didn't block it you would get caught by this other rope that comes from above and you know would like hang you and do a bunch of damage but he was a dude who was he was like this military obsessive character. He had like a fighting stick and a red, a red beret. Um, threw knives and tossed grenades and I think stuff I like that. I remember that guy. Yeah. Was he,
0: was he the one who wore like a vest but no shirt underneath? Uh,
1: that's possible. I'd, I'd have to look at a picture of him. I can't remember if he had a shirt under his his okay. uh, vest. But was he the like distinctive thing—their
0: like version of Guile or something? <laughs>
1: uh, not exactly. I guess the distinctive thing about him was that he had the red hat and
2: okay. he had a okay. stick,
1: kind of okay. like—not exactly like a bow staff, but like a shorter stick that he could use to do a lot of his attacks. But yeah, this splash page with Maria and Quan, it just made me think of Rolento's super combo. <laughs> nice, nice.
0: Yeah, and then the issue ends with after all that mayhem and all that fighting, Victor and and Marcus are just jumping across various boats in the wharf just trying to get away. They finally kill the uh, the final remnants of them and they don't even have that much time to gather themselves. They just they're all bloodied and messed up and they just look up and they just know all right, back to it. And they just yeah. go, go right at it.
1: <laughs> it's such a good it's... cliffhanger. A, a great final page with both of them dropping the katanas that they're holding. Like They just drop their weapons to the ground. And then the last panel is them just charging at each other with their fists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a narration from Marcus that says, one of us is going to die. <laughs> right. That's just a great
0: image. Great panel. it kinda of, kind of reminds me of the ending of I wanna say Rocky One. I think it's Rocky One. Um where after everything that's happened between Rocky and Apollo Creed, they've they started out as adversaries, but I think they become they they, they develop a respect for one another, right? And then So, this might be either Rocky one or Rocky two. So, I I forget. But at the end, the very end of the movie is they're sparring together in the ring. And then they're like, don't go easy on me now. And he goes, I never do. And then (laughs) they just kind of, it's a very like, almost cheesy 80s thing where they strike a pose where they're about to punch each other and then they just freeze frame. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then Eye of the Tiger plays. <laughs> I mean, it kind but of I makes sense for Dudley Class because this is a
1: comic that has a lot of 80s influences. I feel like they're very proud of the 80s influence
0: here in, in the series. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I Hey, I'm here for it, man. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I eat that stuff up, especially when it's done well, for sure. Yeah, totally. Alright. Anything else, or you want to move on to the next issue? Let's check out the next issue. Deadly Class, issue 33. In Japan, Saya is being held prisoner by her brother Kenji, who regularly torments her, unloading all of his insecurities and grievances, until finally revealing the body of her dead mother to her. Back in Puerto Panasco, Helmut and Petra scramble to evade the local police. The experience causes Petra to come to terms with her emotional turmoil, and she finds the will to live. While in hiding, Zinzel tells Tosawe the story of her parents and how they attempted to use her as collateral in their dealings with a human trafficker. In an instant of blinding fury, she murders them with a hammer, making herself an orphan. Zinzel would go on to be raised by the trafficker, Mr. Stakel, who would nourish her her proclivity for violence, utilizing it towards his own ends. Tasawi attempts to reassure her, and they embrace, when the Yakuza enter with Brandy Lynn and prepare to execute her. As Tasawi turns to Zinzel, or what course of action they need to take she responds with her intention to let them kill her and that is the end of issue 33
1: yeah this issue gives us a little bit of saya she's not in this volume a whole ton I think this might be her only appearance in the trade but the sequence that she does get here is quite memorable the opening page first of all it's illustrated in a different style than the than was craig's usual look kind of reminds me actually of one of jill thompson's painted comics like when she did beasts of burden or uh, the delirium comic it kind of looks like that to me for some reason the way that the the color is washed over the page and it's very idyllic and then we get this whole sequence where Saya's brother is giving her the villain speech and essentially his cruelty is on full display and he's torturing her, if not physically, at least emotionally. He shows her the body of their mother. He murdered their mother in a pretty brutal fashion. And that's kind of all we get from Saya. Like She's just trapped, doesn't really get a whole lot of opportunity to make an impact I feel like this scene is here to remind us of how cruel and how callous her brother is
0: Mm. Mm. yeah the dude is well he's a real bastard (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, we've, we've seen some of him in the previous volumes we I think the last time we saw this there was there was an att- he had, ends up attacking Saya's mother, but knowing what we know of Rick Remender, there's always a chance. Like we said earlier, there's always a chance that someone could be alive because he's a big fan of the misdirect. So when we last saw their mother, she was stabbed by Kenji, but you know, for all we know, she. She could have survived maybe she took some anti-stabbing pills Um, (laughs) (laughs) buy them at your local cvs (laughs) yeah exactly she took a bunch of anti-stabbing pills before he stabbed her and she ended up being okay they're they're like uh like allergy shots right (laughs) so (laughs) so it isn't until this issue that we get a confirmation in the worst way possible that She is for show dead. You don't think there's any chance that she's just taking a nap or
1: unconscious in this on that splash page?
0: No cap. (laughs) Dang, (laughs) where you learn language like that, dude? You know, I'm with the Ute. I, I'm, I have my finger on the pulse. I, I, me and my (laughs) Gen Z (laughs) brethrens. No cap, no cap. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man.
1: Dang, man. Yeah. Comic book <laughs> comic book podcaster using terms like that definitely shows that you got a lot of riz. Yeah, I I for
0: sure do. You gotta have riz in the biz.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you gotta have the drip, Drew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: man are you just cruising on Urban Dictionary right now <laughs> <this
0: land? laughs> I'm just trying to entertain you man I'm just trying to give the people what they want <laughs> is that I'm trying really to be relevant <laughs> uh, but anyways there's a scene later on uh, and this is kind of a good character moment and it's a scene where Helmet and Petra are trying to get away. And Petra, up to this point, as we've seen her progression through the series, she is kind of at a delicate time because she was just previously in a position where she was trying to end her own life. And it isn't until she's confronted with a life and death situation that she really finds that reserve of willpower deep down inside of her and she chooses whether yeah in the moment she chooses life right Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. she could very much allow all of the pressure that's built up from everything that's happened to her and she could regress to where she was only a few issues earlier but yeah in in this moment she's she's found that will and the decision to fight for her for her life so we we all know that that's gonna end well (laughs) (laughs) it's it's in the moment that you find your will to live where Things stop trying to kill you, right? (laughs) Everybody lives happily ever after. Yeah. (laughs) This is the end of the series, guys. (laughs)
1: Um. Looking at this scene where she and Helmut have that conversation after she poisons those cops that are after him, I'm seeing, Mm. I'm looking at Helmut walking around after he wraps up his uh his wound because in the previous issue when they were running away he got shot uh by the i don't remember if it was the cops or if it was the ninjas but he gets shot right in the stomach or something somewhere in his torso and all it takes for him to be up and about is to wrap himself up and maybe he i don't know they're in a building or a house where he can maybe take some painkillers or something, but it's still kind of crazy to me to imagine somebody like being able to get wounded like that and continue walking around. And then, as we see later on in this story, he's able to fight and, you know, be he's athletic again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Drew. Turns out everybody's just taking anti-stabbing pills.
1: <laughs> the they, characters everybody in this story, man, they're just, they're just hella tough, man, because I have had my ribs broken, and there ain't no way that I could just run around immediately after. You know, like, when I had my ribs broken, I was lying on the ground for, like, 15 minutes. If I were in deadly class, I would have died. There's no way, man. There's no way that I would have been able to get up and wrap myself up and then keep on moving.
0: Yeah, I never had something that severe happen to me. So I can couldn't even begin to imagine the pain, but I do remember when that happened to you and it did not look comfortable. Yeah, not at all.
1: Couldn't mm. really breathe very well. It was Yeah, it it was pretty painful. We were we were playing football uh and you know, being dumb young people we weren't using pads or anything we were just like tackling each other (laughs) but uh yeah i got hit the wrong way actually fell down on my friend's knees as he was pulling me down and he broke two of my ribs and i was just lying on the ground for like 15 minutes before some people could help me you know get to a car and drove me to the er but had real bad problems uh with breathing and it wasn't until I went to the hospital and they hit me up with some morphine that I was able to like walk around a bit. But mm. even then all that really does is it just numbs your pain, so it doesn't mean that you're actually better. I could have still hurt myself walking around that night, you know? I could have done right. if I had like tried to like move around the wrong way, that would have been that would have messed me up. I just had to take it easy for a while and and try to get my breathing proper. Uh, so these teenagers who get stabbed or shot or whatever, and they're still like running around. Like it, I think that's why I find it just so incredible that Brandy still isn't dead. You know, like <laughs> she she just won't die. She's stubborn. <laughs> she's tough. She gets. Beaten up, she gets stabbed. All this stuff happens to her, and yeah. she's still fighting ferociously. It's pretty wild. Yeah,
0: she really puts the supreme in su- white supremacist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, she
0: does. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why she's part of the master race, dude. <laughs> yeah, she, she has every right to believe it if she can yeah. withstand all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh man. I also wanted to talk a little bit about the fight scene between Marcus and Victor because there's some interesting stuff going on here from a technical perspective. I really think that Russ Wooten does some interesting stuff during their fight because he seems to layer the sound effects. I'm assuming it's him and not Wes Craig doing this, but the sound effects are layered over the panels. And it's done in a way where you kind of have to like focus your vision in order to read the sound effect. But otherwise, it just kind of looks like a watermark on, on those panels. Did you have any thoughts about those specific uh, panels during the fight scene when they're at the bo- on the boat at the dock?
0: I do like that first page or the first shot of them fighting in this issue where you see Marcus just smacking Victor in the face. And you just see that loud crack. And yeah, It is like such a heavy crack. The lines are just so heavy on it, but it really communicates the force, you know? Mm-hmm. And right in the, the following panel, once he hits the one of those pillars on the pier, it's just, I, I imagine that that's trying to say crunch or cinch. Yeah. Crunch? Cinch. <laughs> cinch i don't know because it's it a be... sound? cinch, <laughs> cinch. <laughs> you've never made a cinch sound <laughs> Uh,
1: maybe i gotta clean the earwax out of my ears man I, I haven't i don't think that's a sound i
0: would have expected to hear in a fight <laughs> well Now that you question me, I'm just going to say that it's cinch, not crunch. (laughs) (laughs) I have to commit to this now. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. And then I do like the following page after that where you don't really have a lot of words until the very bottom, but it's five panels total, and the first four are mostly in – it feels like they have – tinted it in red and in in a very light overlay you can see the sound effects where you can't really read them but you know that they're there and you're watching as marcus is getting hit in one panel and then the next one he's throwing fish at victor and then in the next one after that victor slams his head into some glass and then After that, Marcus is kicking him in the nuts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a pretty intense exchange. But with the uh, sound effect, even though it's not bold and overtly visible, it hangs over the violence that's happening. And it's visible enough that you know it's there. So it almost makes it feel like the fight's happening in slow motion or something like that.
1: Yeah. It's a very clever effect. I can't think of too many other examples of seeing something like this. So using it here is pretty effective because it's not something that they do for a lot of their fight scenes. If any of their fight scenes up to this point, maybe I'd, yeah. there's something in an earlier issue that I just forgotten, but here it, definitely feels impactful and like you said it kind of makes it feel like it's in slow motion at the very least i would say it heightens the impact of every moment like every panel
0: here just feels enormous Mm, right it is even though it's this really dramatic and serious action sequence it is fun to watch Almost reminds me of the fight from the Ultimates where Captain America is taking on the Hulk. Maybe that's just because he kicks the Hulks and then Hulk in the Hulks too, you know? (laughs) I imagine the Hulk names his testicles the Hulks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you were the Hulk, you'd probably do the same. He doesn't have a very extensive vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's the kind of fight. Oh, if not that fight, it also reminds me of the other fight in the Ultimates where the Hulk is beating up on the one Chituari soldier. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It it reminds me of that one, too, because that one's just a no-holds-bar slugfest between these two characters. Well, the fight between the
1: Hulk and the Chitori leader, that was kind of one-sided because the Hulk was just
0: like <laughs> messing him up. He was just wailing on the dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah.
2: Still. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just going to talk about the scene with Denzel and Tasawi,
0: Oh, yeah. That was exactly what I was going to ask about. I was going to see what your opinion of that scene was. And this is a big moment because we finally get the revelation to what her secret origin is. You know, the the whole thing that they've been building around Zenzel, the Mystery around who her actual parents are and why she's at this school. Yeah, and it turns out she
1: really did kill her own parents. But to be fair... They deserved it because they were sex traffickers.
0: Yeah. They were terrible parents anyways. She was better off without them. Yeah. And yet, in spite of that, she still feels like some kind of guilt towards killing her own parents.
1: Exactly. She kind of did the world a service there, probably. I mean, not like it really changed anything in the long run, but people like that probably don't really deserve to live. And she ends up being taken in by the other... I guess he's also a sex trafficker, so... Like, (laughs) kind of makes you wonder, why don't you just kill him? But maybe, you know, she was just a kid and couldn't really accomplish all that. But uh, the fact is that she did kill her parents. And that's something that has messed her up emotionally ever since and haunted her. So... Now that she's sharing this information with Dasawi, they're having kind of this heart-to-heart moment while they're hiding in the kitchen. Um, Of course, the next thing that has to happen is they get interrupted with the mutant gang. I mean, the Yakuza bringing Brandy into the kitchen where they're about to execute her. And in the previous volume of Deadly Class, Brandy and Zenzel definitely had a lot of beef against each other had some major confrontations in the previous volume, and now this is sort of the opportunity for Zenzel to kind of get one over on Brandy if she so chooses. She could either, you know, rescue her enemy, which is a pretty humiliating thing to do for the person who gets rescued, or she could just let her other enemies kill Brandy. And the end of this issue, she's Basically decides to let them kill Brandy, but the mm. thing that is surprising to me again is that Brandy just won't die.
2: <laughs> this
1: racist toe rag you. is
0: just unkillable man <laughs> she's she puts the supreme and supremacist man. I'm telling <laughs> you she's earned it. I'm <laughs> like, I guess we didn't mention it when we
1: were talking about the previous issue but the scene when Randy, Marcus and Victor are running away she's she's like grabbing her side or something, and she's like i'm I'm bleeding out and then uh you know shes she says that she needs she needs uh help or something so mar- so victor's like you're you're bleeding out, maybe uh you have ten minutes and then you're dead go." find a doctor,
2: (laughs) and then she just, like, leaves them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... (laughs) I
0: I did want
1: to... After that, like, the next time we see her is this scene when the Yakuza gang has her. So, like, are we just assuming that... So, are we assuming that the Yakuza founder and then they decided to, like bandage her so that they could shoot her in the head with a gun? Or are we assuming that she found the doctor who patched her up, and then the gang found her?
0: Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know, man. I, I I I guess... Well, okay, for the sake of comedy, let's say that she found a do- doctor who patched her up just enough so that they could capture her and mm-hmm. threaten her life all over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um yeah but i did want to address what you were saying earlier about why she didn't end up uh why zenzel didn't end up killing the uh the other trafficker that she ends up that ends up raising her mm mm-hmm. i think just as a a possibility a uh, a thought that's occurred to me is that well i think this entire experience has shown that Zinzel is actually a pretty delicate mind so because when she kills her parents she does it in just a fit of rage it's purely impulse that she does it mm-hmm. on you know mm-hmm. so when she comes down from that she very much seems like the kind of person who is afraid to. Allow that sort of uh to 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 she's afraid to allow her herself to be that way, so if anything, she's quite inhibited, you know yeah, so I true. imagine that once she came down from the realization of having killed her own parents, she was pretty shocked and horrified by what she had done. That's logical, yeah, yeah, you want to move on to the next chapter or, or issue or is there anything else you want to talk about here nope we can move
1: on to issue 34
0: all right deadly class issue 34 cornered kwan breaks down and tells maria everything the yakuza open fire open fire on their position and in a moment of heroism Quan decides to sacrifice himself so that maria can go save the others nope he's still a rat randy lynn at the mercy of the Yakuza, has a burst of energy and overtakes her captors. Zinzel, in a maddened state, attacks Brandy Lynn, and all their enmity towards one another is unleashed. Zinzel is beaten back, but is saved by Chasawe, who loses several fingers. The two make a run for it and run right into Petra and Helmet, who have commandeered a vehicle. Marcus and Victor fight savage, savagely on the shore. And as Victor attempts to drown Marcus, Maria saves him. Maria helps Marcus to get up and hands him a gun so that they can leave together. but Marcus walks over towards Victor and points the gun at him, standing there. Marcus has an imaginary conversation with Willie who implores him not to shoot Victor and tells him and tells him what the implications are for what he's about to do but Bar- but Marcus can't let go of his hate and his desire to avenge his friend. On his knees, Victor responds defiantly to Marcus, seeming, to, to Marcus's seemingly one-sided rant, letting him know that he's not the villain that he thinks he is, that Marcus thinks he is, but rather he's the villain Marcus wants him to be, needs him to be, in order to justify what he's about to do and to justify his, his order in the system that is being imposed on them. All Victor has ever done was to follow the rules that they were given and excelled at it. And the reason that Marcus hates him isn't due to some notion of nobility, but because Victor is better at what he does. Victor then tells Marcus about how Petra murders how Petra murdered Billy. Marcus loses it at this muse and fires off a single shot. Yeah, so for an issue that's been pretty that's had a lot of fast-paced action, that's had a lot of violence going on. This issue, even though it's still just more action, there is a lot at its core going on here in terms of this moral conflict that happens between Marcus and really himself. We talked about it earlier how it feels like this, I guess, chapter or this volume is. A turning point for Marcus and a moment where he will have to decide what kind of person he wants to be and I think this dilemma here is a perfect example of that because again he has Victor dead to rights and he has every reason to hate Victor he has every reason to want to kill Victor but and yet there's still something inside him that's trying to convince him that this isn't this isn't what he wants to do this isn't what he should do there's even a point where he's talking to willie in his imagination and he says um well i'll read it Mm -hmm. willie goes what do you want here and marcus goes have your have your back like we always promise to take away his future same as he did to you and willie responds Sometimes the best way to be on someone's side is to tell them when they're doing the wrong thing. This is the wrong thing. You're on a, you're on cruise control reacting. Think this is what master Lynn wanted you to become, but you made it out. You beat him. The kid I met back at Kings, he was just an alley cat. All he wanted was a family, a warm place to sleep and a bite to eat. Every terrible thing you did before that was survival, but this, and, and he goes, uh Marcus goes he deserves it and Willie responds by saying maybe or maybe we all build our enemies into monsters who deserve to die maybe he's just another kid who got trapped in the same old man's fucked up game distorted by the people who should have protected him maybe he deserves to die but who the fuck are you to say and uh yeah Marcus's last line is he gets to breathe there eat peanut butter sandwiches watch sunsets and you don't that's all i know he took my best friend
2: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah
1: yeah that whole sequence was really meaningful and impactful it's like the turning point of marcus's journey it feels like
2: yeah it's like yeah
1: yeah just the whole idea of marcus finally having victor at his mercy again i mean at the end of the previous volume he obviously had victor at gunpoint and probably could have just shot him in the back without victor knowing or being ready for it but you know where's the drama in that so when we get here (laughs) (laughs) maria saves marcus from being drowned and then Uh, Because of the wound that she gives to Victor, I guess it gives Marcus the ability or the opportunity to pick up the pistol and have Victor at his mercy. Victor's all, you know, just on his knees. But when Marcus imagines Willie's spirit telling him that if he executes Victor in cold blood, Marcus will become exactly what Master Lin wanted him to become. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He has that moment of I guess it's the epiphany moment in the story, right? It's like Marcus realizes that I guess maybe not at this moment, but it's it's the it's a scene that like leads him towards the moment of realization where despite the internal debating, we have Mark uh Victor uh trying to bait Marcus into a rage, right? Victor baits Marcus into a rage by telling him that Petra killed Billy and not only killed Billy, but bragged about it. She enjoyed it. And that, yeah, that is the thing that pushes Marcus into a rage. And when he fires the pistol at the end of this issue, we get this splash page, but it's a, a distant shot. So like the f- characters are just uh, tiny figures as we see and hear the gunshot a very loud gunshot at this beach, but we're left at the end of this issue. We're left uncertain as to whether or not the gunshot, uh, we're left unsure whether Marcus actually shot Victor or not, or if he just, you know, shot next to his ear or something, you know how it goes. Right. Right. (laughs) But knowing what we know from the next issue, I do feel like this ending scene with Marcus, Having the vision of Willie's spirit, it it feels like a very important scene to me in the story of Marx's character arc, because it's the thing that helps him understand what he's doing, uh, why he's doing it. Like they ran away uh, to Mexico in the first place because they just wanted to get away from King's Dominion. They wanted to reject the school, turn their back on what Master Lin was offering. And just live out their lives because it does feel like what willie is saying um it's probably marcus's subconscious just internalizing his goals right because what willie says is when he's talking to marcus he's like the kid i met back at king's he was just an alley cat all he wanted was a family a warm place to sleep and a bite to eat and it feels like that's the kind of thing that marcus is still looking for like that's the stuff that still rings true for him he's still searching for a family he's still searching for a safe place to be somewhere where he can sleep comfortably and someplace where he can have enough to eat and survive you know that's all he really needs he doesn't need a super fancy life all
0: of us are looking for (laughs)
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: but so
1: many people often get caught up with ambitions right bigger ambitions and it's not to say that there's something wrong with having ambition
0: but no you're right this is why i don't have any ambition (laughs) it'll only get you killed that's the lesson i took away from it (laughs) when you start to want things to better yourself all you're doing is leading yourself to an early grave (laughs) yeah (laughs) don't ever try kids no cap
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's the real lesson to learn from deadly class
2: Uh, class dismissed (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh,
0: um i wanted to go back to what you were saying a little bit earlier about uh oh man there was something on the tip of my brain that you you mentioned and uh Ah, uh, never mind. I'll, I'll go back to it later once I figure it out. I I lost my my thread on it, but go ahead. What you uh, go with? Go on with what you were saying. I don't think I had too much more to say.
1: I, I feel like this train of thought will continue uh, when we cover the the next issue. But mm-hmm. as far as this specific issue goes, I guess all I can really emphasize is the scene feels important. Yeah. So it's and it was set up earlier because we had the scene in the previous volume when we saw marcus chilling on the beach he was talking to right. an imaginary Willie while they were while he was listening to music so we we clearly know that uh marcus still has Willie close to his heart and yeah. he just kind of imagines these conversations and who even really knows if these are the things that Willie would have said to him if he had been exactly. alive and in this conversation. We don't know that, not for sure. And exactly. yet Marcus is the one who imagines it. So like on some level, it kind of feels like he could be idealizing or romanticizing his dead best friend. But you, know, yeah. you can't really blame him for that. There is a measure yeah. of yeah. truth to what Willie is saying. And it's not super hard to believe that if he were alive, he would actually say these things it's just that i'm not
0: completely sure based on like what... there's no way to tell yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah i remembered what i was going to say though um i was going to say that you're right when you mentioned that earlier in the previous volume the plan for them for marcus and maria were to just run off but they start off they started off the last volume with him having this imaginary conversation with Willy. And even in that conversation, you can tell that Marcus still desires on some level to go back and kill Victor and get revenge on all these people. And if if there was an alternate universe story where they actually did get away and they had moved, you know, to, to Mexico or you know anywhere in the world, if they had remained in hiding, I think the thing about that would have been that Marcus wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't have necessarily been confronted with the real choice, right? Because he was just presented with the best option that was available to him, but deep down in his heart, I think there was this very real possibility that he would either go back to finish the job or he would forever live with this nagging sense of regret that mm-hmm. he didn't do what he was supposed to and to some degree you have to have this moment in the story happen where those forces come and confront him where he's at so that he can choose to not kill uh I mean so so that he can choose or not choose what he's going to do, right? Mm-hmm. These forces—Victor and the Yakuza, and you know the forces of uh, uh, King's Dominion—they they're all still out there, and he could very easily just choose to live the rest of his life out in hiding. And it was almost a reality, but by having them come here, uh. Again, it gives him agency in the situation where it's very different to come to this conclusion because it's the path of least resistance. And it's different to to come to the conclusion where you decide what you're going to do because of the path of least resistance. And between that and actively choosing your uh to make your decision based on the will and the choice to follow a i'm not going to call it a philosophy but you know an idea right Mm -hmm. uh it's it's him being confronted with the possibility that he can get revenge when it's sitting right in front of him and choosing not to that's the thing that really defines him in this moment i don't know if that really made too much sense no that makes that that makes
1: sense that makes sense and i i feel like it'll be well when we cover the events of the next issue we'll definitely be able to kind of complete that train of thought that you introduced but Yeah, like just the idea of confronting – he's basically not just confronting Victor at this point. He's confronting himself, Marcus is. He's confronting Mm. the ideas of – or he's confronting the ideals of what he had previously held, you know, like whether or not getting revenge – is essential to his desires or not and he has that like you said he has that opportunity right before him so depending on the choice that he makes here his character arc goes one way or the other and Mm -hmm. i think that's Mm -hmm. why it's such
0: a monumental moment for his story yeah can i ask you what you think did you have any thoughts on Victor's response here on how he sees himself and how he sees Marcus cuz up to this point we, we I think we have a very I, I I think up to this point we have an idea of what Victor is and it's almost a prototypical antagonistic school bully type of villain but what he has to say to Marcus here does it does kind of hit a nerve, right? Where mm-hmm. where he kind of makes you ask, like, am I really... Yeah, I've done all this terrible stuff, but we're at this school where they are all training us all to be terrible people, you know? And we all made that choice at some point, or not necessarily made that choice, but we made the choice to participate in, in the way that things are done here. So am I really the villain that you think I am just because I did what people naturally do at a school for assassins you know yeah Um,
1: and i think that's an interesting point there
0: yeah like he's obviously not a hero or a good guy (laughs) yeah
1: exactly exactly (laughs) like personally i still think that he bears responsibility for what he did i mean he's obviously old enough to understand what he was doing and he has the mental capacity to be able to explain it to somebody else in this high stakes moment so to me it feels like victor saying all this stuff to marcus at the end of the issue is victor being um i yeah i guess i would just say self serving he's a he's he's still definitely a villain and he's trying to deconstruct marcus is what he's trying to do, I think. He's trying to deconstruct Marcus with his words because he's at the point where he can't fight anymore. He has a gun pointed at his head. So Marcus can either shoot him, or if he doesn't shoot him, then Victor can keep on talking. So he uses whatever tool he has available to him to prolong his life. And the best thing he can do is to use his words to make Marcus doubt himself, to make Marcus... question himself even
0: further yeah
1: yeah diminish him or even just shake him to his core when he tells him the news about petra and billy and i feel like that's that's some like high level pettiness at work there because yeah it's it's just him saying whatever he can to try and break the person who has this power over him so yeah like i feel like on some level you do have a like, you definitely have a good point because Victor is talking about how he's just doing what the environment trained him to do. You know, it's like the old mm-hmm. argument of somebody blaming the environment for all the choices that he ended up making that led him down a bad path. You know, I'm just a victim, brother. I'm a victim of my environment and my upbringing. <laughs> That's the only reason why I killed those people or stole that stuff or did whatever crime I got accused of, you know. it's like Right. But I I don't really feel like that flies, you know? But the right. other funny thing is if you imagine Deadly Class as a metaphor for high school, it kind of feels funny because it's then it's like the 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 class bully justifying why he's a bully because it's a high school. What else are you supposed to do? There's there's got to <laughs> be a bully at a school. Like you ever been to a school where there's no bully? It doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I think the thing that's interesting about that, too, though, is it's that old adage about how the devil does tell warped versions of the truth to some degree that really hit close to home. That's the thing that hurts about what, what the devil has to say, right? Mm-hmm. And to some degree, I think victor, Victor's victor got insights here, too, insights going on here. and. He's not absolutely right, but he's not absolutely wrong either, right? Because yeah. he, whatever he's saying is definitely resonant enough that it hits Marcus where it hurts, you know? And mm-hmm. he's watching Marcus have this moral dilemma at the moment, and he's not just going to sit here and take it. He's, he's going to hit him with the things that he needs to say in order to just really mess him up. Mm -hmm. and it almost feels like even if victor does die in that moment the lasting scars of what he's going to say are just going to stick with marcus yeah yeah exactly
1: (laughs) victor really has nothing to lose by saying what he says here yeah yeah he has nothing to lose and everything to gain specifically his life
0: (laughs) exactly exactly all right you want to move on to issue 35 uh well there were a couple
1: of other things real quick that I just wanted to mention oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in regards to sure. issue thirty-four. I mean, number one, it, Brandy still won't die. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, she's like the she's like a slasher movie horror a s a slasher horror movie villain, you know?
2: Right. So she should be she's- bleeding
1: out on the ground, but here she's just more ferocious and more racist than we've ever seen her you know she's <laughs> back with the vengeance right she's she's calling people yellers or whatever um just saying all this racist stuff and yeah like she was at the mercy of those of those goons and somehow she's able to break free and kill her captors and then get into this big fight with Zenzel mess the mess up Zenzel and like the only way that Zenzo was able to get away was because Tasawi jumped in with a skateboard, but he gets pretty badly wounded when she slices off his fingers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that sucks for him. Uh, but yeah, you're right. She is she's a tough little tank. It's pretty pretty shocking, and it's a funny comparison to to think of her as almost a subverted idea of a movie monster like Michael Myers or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also trying to think of her character
1: in regards to the comic being a metaphor for high school because it's like the popular mean girl that just won't ever stop talking or gossiping about other people. Like, you just can't stop her no matter no matter what for some
0: reason it's it's mind-boggling it does kind of remind me well not not remind me but it makes me think of it it makes me think of the idea of high school as if 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 high school is just another jungle then but with the violence removed and a girl of her stature social stature within an environment like that would be just this unstoppable tenacious being with unlimited reserves of cruelty and pettiness right Mm -hmm. and i think if you take that idea and juxtapose it against the concept of an A high school where actual violence is allowed, it almost makes sense that her physical prowess would match that tenacity and savagery of, you know, a really mean high school girl. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Right. It's the idea of like her physical body matching the just viciousness of character that exists for that particular archetype.
2: Mhm.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Um. Then there's also the whole scene with Kwan, where Kwan, he's he's just a gibbering mess, and Maria <laughs> has caught him, and he even talks. He tells her everything, and even tells her that he he doesn't have what it takes to be at that school. He shouldn't have been there. But they snuck him in because of everything that went wrong. Uh, you know, the stuff that, yeah, the stuff that happened between him and the yakuza. His dad sending him to Tokyo to to make some sort of a deal, and because of everything that goes wrong, he gets sent to infiltrate the school. And you know, for a singular moment, it seems like okay, he might he might have uh, found his footing. He might do something good. He runs out there and he's like, I'm, I'm with you. And you, you kind of hope that he's going to trick him or something. And when they <laughs> ask him where they went, he just points to down the door and he just goes, she went that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's Like this guy, this
2: guy. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't like, trust I, him. Yeah, I, I think there was a. It, if this volume of the series is a point of demarcation for Marcus, uh, it's that line where we he decides what he's going to be. Uh, I'd say that applies here to Quan too, because I'm re- I'm writing him off. He's done. We're good. <laughs> How many chances does he get? <laughs> Exactly right. How many chances to redeem himself does he get? <laughs> he's he's already spent them all. <laughs> they they done. No more. <laughs> oh man. All right.
1: My final question is that when you were reading this for the first time, when you got to the last page, did you think that Marcus actually shot Victor, or did you assume that he didn't kill him?
0: Uh, honestly. I think I understood the dramatic effect of, of what happened here. And it made sense to me that the series or not the series, but that the story would end with Marcus not killing him. So if anything, I would have been surprised if he had killed Victor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause, Cause so much of the moral argument that was going on really felt like it was building up to the, idea of marcus accepting that in order to really win the best thing that he can do is not play by those rules yeah um yeah yeah but on the other hand if he had killed victor
1: then he would have given in to his baser desires and he would have in a way,
0: it would have been even more tragic. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that, too. Well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs>
1: yep. Let's talk about yeah. the last issue of this trade paperback collection, issue
0: 35. You got it. the class, issue 35. When the smoke clears, Victor is still alive. Marcus asks Victor what it is he wants, and Victor responds, and... Victor's response is one that is draped in pride, honor, and patriotism. Marcus points out the consequences of their actions and asks if what any of what they are doing and asks if any of what they are doing does anything to accomplish those goals. What kind of parents train their children to become murderers? He tosses the gun at Victor and refuses to be a killer. If he intends to beat the system, it has to be by his own means and not the means of the forces that haunt him. Maria and Marcus both take their leave of Victor and he is left alone with his thoughts. As Petra, Helmut, Zinzel, and Tsaoui recklessly drive away, they are met with a hail of bullets being fired by Brandy Lynn and they, cr- and they crash. Tsaoui is seriously injured. As Zenzel cradles his unconscious body, Randy threatens to fire upon them. When Petra jumps her, Maria and Marcus arrive to help at the same time, at the same time as the local authorities. The police open fire and the kids scatter. Marcus and Petra end up under cover together, and they devise a plan to save the others. But before they can do it, Marcus tells Petra that he knows about Billy and what she did. And that he forgives her. The moment is interrupted when Brandy Lillian attacks, leaving Marcus incapacitated. He watches helplessly as Brandy murders Petra. Helmet arrives just in time for Petra to die in his arms. They take her body and run for it. And when they are confronted by Kwan and the remaining Yakuza, the Yakuza demand that Kwan point out Marcus or they'll kill everyone. Of course, they have no intention of keeping any promises they make as they are about to slaughter them shots ring out from shots ring out from a perch victor opens fire on the yakuza giving the gang the opening they need to escape on the reservation everyone has a chance to recuperate and to bury petra marcus and helmet stand over her makeshift grave and have a talk marcus tells helmet about billy and how he forgave petra in her final moments but to helmet None of it
2: matters. Yeah. Another dramatic ending to the
1: volume. So there's quite a few things that stood out in this issue. First of all, as you mentioned, Marcus did not shoot Victor. And I think this opening scene in the issue was kind of surprising to me because they have this sort of at least by the standards of Deadly Class they have what constitutes a heart-to-heart conversation Marcus and Victor and it ends with Marcus refusing to be consumed by revenge instead he resolves to forgive the monsters it's I guess I thought it was somewhat unexpected because the book has felt like it's just been steeped in a lot of tragedy, it's violence
0: and, and retribution.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So like yeah. to get to this midway point in the series and we have somebody we have the main character decide to reject retribution. It's an interesting choice, an intriguing choice because then you just want to know what happens next. Like, what are they going to... Like, how can somebody who's resolved to choose to forgive monsters now continue on in this story? Like, what room is there in this story for someone who decides to forgive? And I think it's funny yeah. because a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Azarello and Chang Wonder Woman on our podcast. And forgiveness was a major theme in that story. And that, that story has a totally different tone and feel to uh compared to deadly class and it makes a lot of sense for wonder woman to be an ambassador of peace who actually forgives her enemies and gives her enemies multiple chances to become better people yeah. so to see that similar kind of theme at play here in deadly class that's that got my attention man it's intriguing yeah
0: it's interesting that you bring up Wonder Woman, because it feels like with Wonder Woman, she is an ambassador for peace from start to finish. So it almost feels like when we were reading that, it was the natural starting, starting point for her, where mm-hmm. every problem is met with... For every problem, the solution is... For the most part peace right some mm-hmm. some sort of peaceful resolution and with deadly class it really feels kind of like it takes the opposite track in the sense that it spent the first six volumes of the series really building up this environment and expectation where all of these characters live in a world where the laws of the world are ones in which retribution is the primary mover right mm-hmm. for everything that's done there is an equal if not greater reaction and that is what they are conditioned to do that is what they are conditioned to be um they even talk about it a little in this volume it's just the school itself is training to them to be this monster and you know when we first come into the series it, it almost paints it it almost paints the world like it's this environment where isn't it cool they're all going to learn to these skills where they get to be assassins and ninjas or whatever but it really is about the conditioning of these young minds to be to to ultimately become killers and unfeeling murderers Mm -hmm. and it just makes it I wouldn't say it. It makes it more effective, but I, I do think that the opposite track, or or the opposite uh, experience of building up the expectation up to this point, where Marcus being forced to choose, finally makes the comes to the decision himself that violence is not the answer, and I think it's par for the course for the idea that they do exist in this world where maybe everybody can change, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's almost easier to imagine it when people haven't had such a long history of just cruelty and uh meanness that they've committed onto other people right these these just acts of cruelty that they've done to other people but if you can show that even those kinds of people can be redeemed like what does that say right yeah um yeah I, i mean i think it's a philosophical difference at that point where you can say there's there's definitely something to be said of someone who's just so good at it that they are an example to the rest of us and they inspire the rest of us but there's I think there's also something to the idea that even the worst of us have something in us that can be changed that can be redeemed and you know speaking of things that surprise me, I will say it it did surprise me when Victor was the one that ended up being the one who saved them.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was something that I had to think about for quite a bit. And I'm still not exactly sure how I feel about it. Because mm. Marcus's speech, that makes sense for Marcus's character, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's a surprising way to direct the story. But I really had to think about whether or not him not killing Victor was built up properly, or if it was just a twist for the sake of surprising the reader. And I mm. I think after sitting on the story for a few days, having read it earlier this week, at this point, yeah, I do actually think that on Marcus's side, it makes sense for his character, and it makes sense for the direction of the story That it was built up properly, it was built up properly, and that it wasn't just a twist for the sake of a twist. But the thing, uh, from Victor's side, because at the end of the story, we learned that he's decided to use his sniping skills to save our protagonists from the people who are out to get them. That's the thing I'm still not sure about. Like, I have to think about that some more, I think, because. It feels like we get this moment here in the beginning of the issue where Marcus kind of deconstructs Victor. He asks Victor, what do you want? And then it kind of feels like at this point, Victor could have responded with a really immediate answer. Like, just let me go and, you know, we'll go our own paths and and I'll leave you alone or whatever. You know, it could have been something like that, but, there's a beat, uh, a panel, a silent panel where we just look at Victor's face and he's considering his answer. And then he says, to protect my homeland as top KGB sniper, to make my father proud. So he, he takes what could have been uh, a very direct question about the moment and he answers it in a way that reflects he what he wants earnestly. in life. Yeah, exactly. It's it's far more earnest than what we're accustomed to seeing from victor it's a sincere answer very Mm -hmm. much so yeah Yeah. so like from there marcus kind of deconstructs victor and he he kind of shatters like victor's worldview of you know everything that he's doing is just for country and to make his father proud but then marcus is pretty clever Asking, what does your mom think? <laughs> and like, Yeah. That's the moment where it's like, got him, you know? <laughs> if they were playing basketball, Marcus just crossed him over, broke his ankles right there, you know? It's like, there ain't nothing that Victor can say to a question like that because it's obvious that his father got his mother killed.
0: Right, it right. That's some
1: serious stuff. And when Marcus and Maria finally leave Victor they not They don't just walk away and turn their backs from him, but Marcus actually leaves Victor the gun at it right so so Victor easily could have just shot them in the back if he had wanted to, so yeah. I think that splash page where Marcus and Maria walk away with Victor in the background staring at the gun while he's on his knees him not doing him not killing them in that moment kind of shows you that he genuinely is reconsidering yeah all the choices that he's made exactly
0: he it turns out he who was attempting to deconstruct is now the deconstructed exactly <laughs> how clever
1: <laughs> oh yeah speaking of the first page of quite a turn issue. of events <laughs> it is it is okay Speaking of that first page, though, that uh, opening page of this issue has the water all red. Well, it's like a first-person view from Marcus's point of view, where he's just standing at the shore watching the waves, or, yeah, just at the shore watching the waves crash against the the beach, and he's holding his gun, looking down at his feet, but the color of the water all red, and it kind of looks like it's blood at his feet, it's pretty... Interesting stylistic decision there because in the rest of the scene the water isn't red. Yeah. It kind of reminds I me of chop. the end of Evangelion. Oh, right, Marcus right. and
0: Maria at the at the beach. That's pretty funny. I I hadn't thought of that, but I could <laughs> see it. <laughs> I was just going to say I was just going to chalk it up to Rick Remender's classic misdirection, right? What better way to set up our expectations, then, ah, oh, the water's red. Those look like streaks of blood on the on the on the sand. Yeah, he, he killed Victor. It. Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> then you flip to the next page, and Victor's still there.
2: Yeah,
0: very much alive. Very much alive.
1: I did think it was funny too when when uh, Marcus was giving his speech to Victor. There's that one panel with Ronald Reagan.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And they used his like a photo like a photocopied picture like actual photo of his face,
2: yeah
0: it's he looks so happy <laughs> like, yeah I, I, you know it's it's pretty it's quite a stark contrast to these two teenagers that have beaten themselves nearly half to death. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think that that's an interesting choice as well, you know, just in terms of Marcus's decision ultimately, because he, yeah, he he has that re- this moment of realization here that if he continues to blame these systems that are in place for everything that's befallen him, and if he is in a position to Act on his feelings by using the methods of those that would oppress him or those that have oppressed him or those that are who he deems as responsible for where he is in life. It's almost like he's saying, yeah, they are they played their part in where I am, but I have a role in this as well, and I can choose what to do. and if I end up deciding to kill you, because remember very early on in all the way back in volume one, he was talking about how he eventually wanted to kill Ronald Reagan because he viewed Ronald Reagan as the seed that bore the fruit of his parents' demise and him having to end up with a life on the streets without parents. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, when I first read that way back in volume one, I thought it was kind of tongue in cheek, but they kept putting it in there to the point where I think I was eventually convinced that it wasn't a joke to him. He was serious. He, w- he wanted to kill Ronald Reagan.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's yeah. something kind of delusional about that. And yet somehow in the context of the story, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But this is the moment where he, it almost feels like Marcus steps back from the picture and sees it as a whole. And he understands that all violence begets is just more, more tragedy and more violence. And it just ends up being more corrosive to the spirit and to the soul. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's him making the conscious decision right here, right now to to break that cycle. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I'm not sure if I fully
1: completed my thoughts on Victor earlier that I started, but I think I just wanted to say that I'm still not sure how I feel about his decision to save the other kids. Cause Mm. it does make sense in terms of the plot. Cause otherwise they would have been written into a corner, you know? Like, how would they have been able to escape that situation? But Mm. there's also, on some level, it's kind of surprising that this opening speech from Marcus was basically the thing that deconstructed Victor completely and made him change his ways. So I feel like I have to keep on reading to see what they do with Victor in the upcoming issues. Yeah, I got to see what they do with his character because I need to, need to wrap my head around it, you know. Like, yeah, just leaving him at the beach, and then the next time we see him, he's on their side now, or I don't know if you would even say he's on their side, but he's helping them. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a lot to take in. It's kind of surprising. It could be another thing that feels like a twist, just to like shake things up a bit, but. Yeah, I think that's why I feel like I have to continue reading the series to see what they end up doing with Victor's character.
0: I think there's a chance that the end result will be something that's a lot more nuanced and complex. Mm -hmm. So that, because you're right, if it's a complete 180 degree turn where Victor is all of a sudden like, we're friends now. Let's go hang out and get bergs, (laughs) you know, because we can use casual language. We're not getting burgers. We're getting bergs. Um,
1: (laughs) Is that what people say when they're friends?
0: Let's go get bergs, guys. (laughs) I have never heard that before. Is that another Gen Z thing? Is that how the youth talk? I think that's just a me thing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it's not even a me thing because I just started using it right now. I've never never heard you say that. I've never asked you to get bergs with me. Yeah, I was about I'm to gonna. question our friendship. Let's go get Briggs and Zah. <laughs> Briggs and what? Zah. You know, Pizza. Pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey dude. You wanna get the Za? Let's go get some Zah. <laughs> it's,
1: it sounds like you just made up some slang that would have fit in on one of those futuristic shows like Batman Beyond or something, you know, like how people were always saying Shway, now you can say
2: Bergs,
0: Za. I think I've heard people refer to it as Za, but it's usually really lame people, the kind of people I'd hate. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone ever asked me to get Za, I'd push them down a flight of stairs. (laughs) (laughs) What if they ask you when they are standing on level ground? I would invite them over to some stairs where I would proceed to push them down those stairs. Okay. I'd be Got like, it. "Hey, I know a place where we can get za. There's a place that's awesome right by this ledge." <laughs> Have you
1: ever eaten za at the Moraga steps? Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a place all the way at the top there. It it's really it's really great. You can only get za from up there. <laughs> But yeah, anyways, the idea that he would have this 180 degree turn and all of a sudden be like close buds with them, that would be a little hard to take. So I think whatever form their relational dynamics takes, it'll be. It, it's all in the execution of what that ends up looking at like, right, because mm-hmm. it's a matter of it's a matter of taking into account how much history and bad blood they have with each other and threading the needle of making a believable relationship that can exist between these two people that are, that is that, that takes into account that that degree of just history that they have with one another. So Mm -hmm. I, I can believe that, what marcus had to say to victor like okay if if the entire point of the story ultimately is the idea that people can change and um you have to choose peace over violence and choose forgiveness over violence if, if if that's the overall overarching theme of the book then it makes sense that Marcus showing mercy and grace to Victor is the thing that changes him, right? Because it's the belief that these are the qualities that can change the world. And it is the actualizing of that philosophy within the confines of the story. So it's like, okay, I get that, right? But it still has to be a believable transition because, again, I can't, I can't, I can't, it's going to be hard for me to just accept on, on face value that Marcus gives this speech and then that's enough to change him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it makes it feel kind of cheap 100%. if that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. So if what he does say does change him, okay, I'll I'll buy into it, but there still has to be some degree of effort and even if someone regresses, that's absolutely a part of human nature that I can believe. So there has to be some wiggle room that exists there for Victor to be able to change, maybe even change back. It's something that acknowledges that this is an ongoing process as opposed to a light switch being flipped.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: Yeah. That's why it's important to me to see what they do with him moving forward.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we we get to the end, and Brandy Lynn is basically a Terminator at this point. Yeah, she still <laughs> won't die.
1: <laughs> at this point in my notes, I wrote... She's like the tyrant or nemesis from Resident Evil. Every time they think they've gotten rid of her, she reappears at the worst possible time with new attacks (laughs) and proves to be incredibly hard to kill. She has yet to reach her final form. Yeah. (laughs) This is wild, man. And and like even after she manages to kill Petra at uh, at the end of her scene, she just runs away into the alley and, uh, you know... She's yeah. still out there so at the end of this We're pretty sure that falling, this is not the last we've again. seen of her. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man.
0: Um Did you want to talk about the final scene between Helmet and Marcus at all? Just how that whole thing plays out? Yeah. Or heck, maybe me- even the scene before it with Petra?
1: Yeah, let me ask you, man. Do you think that when Marcus told Petra that he forgave her for Billy, do you think he was fully
0: sincere about that? Or see, was he just trying to be nice? So that's the thing we were talking about a little earlier. I forget at which point we see it in the book, but we hear in Marcus's internal monologue when he he thinks back to that moment, he he even questions himself whether he truly believes it he i think he even tells himself that he doesn't believe it right but he accepts that it's just something that he has to say um it's something that's in line with this epiphany that he's had right it's Mm -hmm. almost this sense of i have chosen chosen to accept this worldview as my worldview so i have to almost fake it till i make it and and i think that's what we're seeing here. And I think that level of complexity very much is in line with what we were just talking about with Victor and what his change is supposed to look like uh, now that he, now that Marcus has said these things to him and have reached him in his very core and made him decide to become, you know, an ally of the theirs, quote unquote, as opposed mm-hmm. to an enemy, right? It's... It's this idea that the 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 change that people make is not a change that is instantaneous, and it is not one that is 100% all the time, right? Because a lot of the times, the way that people actually work is when you change, you have to make a conscious effort to change because instinctually there's a part of you that always wants to regress to a certain way it takes time to build those habits where you ultimately become the person that you want to be right so it makes sense that the way reminder writes marcus in this moment it makes sense that he writes him as someone who has accepted forgiveness as his mantra and as the guiding light for his worldview, but it is not an easy thing, and it is, if anything, it's a hard thing for him to commit to, especially with everything being so new. And maybe you could tell yourself that he's just telling him himself what he needs to tell himself because Petra has just died and it's easier for him to live with the lie of forgiving her but i think there there might be some of that in there but yeah it's it's just a level of complexity that absolutely makes sense because of all of these diverging factors that are at play here in terms of him trying to reconcile his feelings towards her and this new outlook on life that he has so i i'd say that he wants to be sincere i don't know that he is sincere
2: Hmm.
1: yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah because i was i was thinking about his his internal uh narration during the moment when brandy slashes petra's throat because marcus is pretty dazed and lying on the ground looking up at the action and he's trying to tell himself uh, to go and help her but for whatever reason maybe he's just too wounded he can't and then like there's a, a bad voice inside his own mind that says you don't forgive her you don't forgive her you know repeating that as he watches Petra get slashed in the throat and then he thinks, but if it means anything, she'll die thinking that I do. So, mm. yeah, that I think that's the thing that left me wondering if he truly did forgive her when he told her that he did. And then on top of that, the scene at the very end when he and Helmut are at Petra's grave and they have that conversation. Just a really stark, quiet moment where Marcus tells Helmut, I forgave her. I tried to help her, Helmut, but swear to God. And then he just looks at Marcus and Helmut says, maybe, or maybe you didn't. It doesn't matter now. Not to her, anyway. And that uh, that's just uh, a heavy cold ending man it's like one of the rare issue endings that isn't technically really a cliffhanger but it still does the job of making you want to keep on reading you know like no one's about to face off no one's got a gun pointed at them no one's fallen out a window or anything like that it's just two of the characters that we've come to enjoy and appreciate reading their stories having this kind of confrontational or maybe not entirely confrontational but it's a tense moment and at the end there really isn't anything that they can say except to
0: walk away from the grave of their friend yeah man it's a really somber scene um you know we've built this connection to all these characters and this book this series is one where yeah you've really come to expect that Anyone is capable of dying, so I I wouldn't say that I have a lot of affection for Petra as a character up to this point. Uh, Wait, so you I, telling I me say, you telling me that you don't forgive her? I mean, I did forgive her, right? Like I I think that that arc is a worthy one, and I. I respect what Reminder did to, to get her to this point. So, you know, uh, as a vehicle to drive that point home, it's, it's very effective. Um, I probably say, uh, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I'll, I'll say that I forgive her and I, I, I feel, I, I believe that I think. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. Yeah. But, I also feel bad for Helmet. He's he's someone I've come to like and it was a uh, yeah, it was just doomed from the start, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: He's prob Helmet is probably one of the most likable characters at least to me. So to see him and Marcus kind of have this tension between them. I think that's pretty interesting. It's something yeah. where the like I guess I would still consider marcus the main character or the protagonist so it's interesting to me to have the main character and the most likable character kind of have this thing hanging between them where they're they're not as close as they could have been if petra had survived
0: yeah we we have to remember that at this point they've just met so Mm -hmm. they're their being around each other is relatively new, right? And any experience that they have is really the thing that shapes what they, how they feel towards one another. And when the first thing, the first milestone moment or canon event moment that happens (laughs) between the two of you is that this mutual contact between the two of you ends up dying because of, you know, circumstances due to your shared history, well, it's hard to imagine him not being resentful to some degree, right?
2: Exactly. Can't help it. No, sir. So we're
1: at the end of Volume 7, but how did you feel about this consecutive string of issues where we didn't really get too much from Saya, other than those few pages, and we didn't get anything at all about what was going on back at the school. So there's no shabnam or, or uh, shoot, what's what's the girl's name? Troll? I forgot her
0: like actual Brobda. name. Grogda. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I think your name was Troll? I mean, that's what they call her because, well, she's quite trollish. <laughs> she has. The qualities of a troll yeah. <laughs> a a bridge dweller, as you would call them.: <laughs> uh, you think we'll
1: get more of those characters in the next volume?:
0: Nope, I think that's it) <laughs> <laughs> You think it's just uh, going to
1: focus on these kids on the run for the n- next few issues or something?
0: The rest of the series is gonna be about them starting an ice cream shop <laughs> <laughs> i think I think for me i I don't really have a problem with the fact that we don't see too much of saya or that we don't see too much of the student body or King's Dominion. um It does feel like there are bits and pieces here and there over the course of the story where we just shift perspective from time to time and we don't necessarily follow characters. Marcus was missing from like an entire volume, right? Because we thought he was dead. So Mm -hmm. that's not, I don't think that's a huge issue for me. I think moving forward, the thing that I find the most compelling is that now that Marcus has this new worldview where, again, his guiding light, his guiding principle is going to be one of forgiveness and peace with everything that we've seen up to this point. With the world that they inhabit and the threats that loom around every corner. I question how long that's going to last. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, It's it's one thing to. And, and and this is another concept that kind of reflects on people, right? When when we find these new ideas and concepts that we find really appealing and we try to integrate them into our lives, it's it's all good and well until we encounter obstacles to actualizing those principles, right? And yeah. if anything, the more you exist in the world and the more you have to live your life, realistically, the harder it gets. It doesn't get easier because you're going to naturally come up with ideas and concepts and people that are going to contradict your your existence whether mm-hmm. by accident or on purpose. Yeah. So so it's a question of what happens now with Marcus now that he has this worldview. One, not everybody has this worldview. Like, it's just Marcus. So there's going to be tension there that exists within the group of friends. And then two, you still have the kids at the student body. You still have... The school the king's dominion itself heck you still have the yakuza out there that are still trying to get them so mm-hmm.
1: Saya's is still out there
0: yeah exactly master lin so
1: has something going on that we're not fully privy to
0: exactly exactly so it's going to be a question of how will marcus even begin to solve all these things if at all with this new hands off approach of nonviolence. Uh well I don't even know if it's nonviolence. I I'm I don't think it is nonviolence because like obviously there's gonna be some form of fighting going on, right? But it, it's it just seems really murky and I guess that's the thing that I find compelling is just the level of curiosity as I that that i have as to what this final product look like looks like how does he reconcile this worldview with what he has to do with all these things that are ahead of him
2: yeah let me ask you this
1: over the course of the rest of the series do you think marcus will kill more people
0: I think it's inevitable, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I think this is an idea we've seen quite a few times. Um, the the one of the more prominent versions of this that I can think of now, and I don't know if it's it's going to go down that path. But I think of something like the life and times of Savior Twenty Eight, where the crux of the story is a man wanting to change and not be a product of the world to to try to be above it and the futility of it right Mm -hmm. um i'm sorry i lost my train of thought what was your question again
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was just asking if you think marcus will kill anybody else over the course of the rest of the series yeah okay
0: yeah so i was gonna say that i think the journey that we're on right now is we're going to see him try to live this life according to this new worldview, but the issue is going to be that he's going to stumble along the way and then it becomes a matter of what does he do then? Does he continue to live according to this mantra or does he regress? and? That sort of ambiguity that's that's real drama in in my opinion, because mm-hmm. you know people again are not so one dimensional that they can decide to be one thing and that is all they are, and that is that right because yeah. in real life, people are far more complex than that, and what we're going what I think we're going to witness moving forward is him dealing with that and what happens the first time he stumbles and he does end up in a position where he has to take a life. And then it's a question of what he does after that. So uh, it makes sense to me that at some point, no matter how much he tries to avoid it, he, he will eventually in all likelihood have to take another life because that's just, The design of the world that they live in.
1: Do you think he'll end up killing Master Lin or forgiving him?
0: Uh, Oh, man. (laughs) Well, if this is in fact what Rick Reminder is building towards, and if Master Lin is the final boss of this story. I would have to guess that Marcus will stop him, will stop King's Dominion, will bring King's Dominion down around them somehow and stop Master Lin from being able to do what he does which is recruit kids and turn them into an army of child soldiers or child assassins um mm-hmm. that he lets loose upon the world. Um I think, yeah, somehow he will stop him. And he might not change Master Lin's heart, but he will stop him in a way that is consistent with his beliefs. Let me put it that way. <laughs>
1: Dude, you should be a politician.
2: Yeah.
1: I think I I think I asked you a yes or no question, and you gave me a... <laughs> pretty funny answer that makes sense but didn't directly answer my question
0: well i mean that's rule number one (laughs) don't (laughs) don't give a short answer when you can give a long one (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'd I'd vote for you man i'd vote for you (laughs) thanks (laughs) thanks what do you think uh like now, now I'm curious um, what course you think Marcus will take and whether all of that, whether he, you think he's going to take another life, um, what the final outcome of the conflict between him and Master Lin is going to be.
1: I feel like he probably will take another life for the similar reasons that you were just given. But it
0: just feels inevitable.
1: Yeah, just yeah. Th- this story is just too violent, and he's not. It's not that he. I don't think he's really made a promise or a vow to be a pacifist or anything. He's just learned to forgive yeah. people and not hold on to hate. But there's nothing about that which would preclude him from defending himself or his exactly his friends. So I feel like he's not he'll probably, technically
0: a pacifist.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, so I, I think. He will still be able to kill people, but he's not gonna like seek out like it doesn't feel like he would seek out people to avenge himself, you know? Like he won't he's not probably gonna seek out Saya's brother and murder him to avenge or to, you know, get him back for kidnapping Saya or whatever. Like I, I kind of don't really see that happening. I mean it's possible. Yeah. But I well
0: if I had I to guess it's... I don't think it would happen. I think it's likely that he feels like he has to save saya mm-hmm. right so that in and of itself doesn't conflict with his worldview because he's not avenging anything he's saving that's someone true. that's true so, you
1: make a good point there
0: so yeah like i think in terms of the course of action next is it, yeah he's gonna have to do something about saya now that he knows that she's alive
1: yeah, so maybe he will kill her brother.
0: It's quite I, I possible. Think, I think there's a chance that they'll go there, confront him and try their best to not kill him. I don't know if they're going to like give him a speech or anything like that, but they'll they'll do their best to free her without killing him and then when things get dicey enough, you know, given given a lack of options, uh he may do what he loathes to do, or or maybe
1: they'll free her and not necessarily go in there with the intent of killing her brother, but maybe yeah. Saya will avenge herself and kill her brother
0: yeah, yeah, and that's another thing that you mentioned um now that I think about it so so yeah, he's got this whole. Uh this whole world view now, where he he's on this forgiveness kick, and yeah, like I was saying earlier, like it it but not everybody else in the group has necessarily taken the same oath, so I'm curious to see how that plays out, like if Saya does decide to kill him, kill Kenji, does he let her, or does he? try to talk her out of it right
1: yeah he would probably try to talk her out of it if she were purely trying to kill him out of revenge like if he were at her mercy the same way that victor had been at marcus's mercy i have a feeling marcus would try to convince her not to be the monster that the school trained her to be yeah that's what i would guess but you know what the other thing i just thought of is we were talking earlier about the Frank Miller influence on the comic, especially in that first issue of this trade with all the fight scenes and everything and the direct acknowledgement to Frank Miller and the staccato, hard, tough guy dialogue. But there's another Daredevil story that I thought of because uh, when DG Chichester wrote Daredevil in the nineties, he did a story called, Last Rights I think that was issues 297 to 300. So 300 was you know a big milestone issue for Daredevil. And in that comic or in that story arc Last Rights, it was basically kind of an inverse Born Again story where whereas Born Again was a story about the Kingpin systematically defacing and dismantling Matt Murdock's life and forcing him to rebuild everything from the ground up. Last Rights is kind of the opposite, where it's Daredevil who's the one who's dismantling Wilson Fisk's life. And at the very, well, not at the very end, but at the climax of the story, basically what happens is Matt Murdock, Daredevil has successfully like ruined everything that Wilson Fisk has cared about. And they end up having... This big old slugfest. And Daredevil basically beats him definitively. And at the end of the fight, when he's not only physically beaten Kingpin, but also just broken him emotionally and uh, financially. And, you know, like in every way imaginable, Kingpin's life has been messed up. At the end of that fight, Daredevil's looking down at him and he just says, I forgive you. <laughs> and, and that's how the scene ends. Like that's for some reason that's always stuck with me and it's like the easiest time to forgive somebody who's wronged you is when you've destroyed their life. <laughs> so, he wields he wields his forgiveness like a weapon. <laughs> exactly. But it's such a great scene. I think about that scene all the time. Like to me that's still such a great underrated Daredevil story. People right, don't right. think about that run of Daredevil too much. It feels like, you know, people think about Frank Miller's run, obviously, and then there's the Bendis run, the mm. Brubaker, Brubaker run, the Mark Wade run, and, you know, probably the more modern runs are the things that are still on people's minds, but that DG yeah. Chichester run, man, don't under, don't underestimate that one. It's a good one. Yeah.
0: I mean, if you're a fan of good comics... Why would you limit yourself, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. Just don't read Charles Sewell's run. <laughs> <laughs> and Lee Weeks drew that Chichester run too, or most of it. He drew that
1: last right story. And I love Lee Weeks, man. It's some of his earlier stuff. Awesome. I still think it's yeah. great.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, you got anything else?
1: Nope. I'm
0: tapped out. <laughs> All right.
1: Well, <laughs> is that a funny thing I'm... to
0: say? Uh, it was unexpected. And I think that tickled me. Okay. But other than that, yeah. So, uh, yeah. If there's anything you'd like to contribute to the conversation, by all means, please do. We'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up at our email between the gutters podcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our Instagram at between the gutters. You you know, DM us, let us know, follow us, like us, subscribe us, all that stuff. Um. We're on threads as well under Between the Gutters. And we're on Twitter for however long Twitter is still going to be around for. <laughs> and uh, yeah, please do. And if you're listening to us on whatever format that you're listening to us on, if you happen to give us a high rating and you know like and subscribe and all that stuff, we would really appreciate it because it really helps to get us out to other people who might listen to us.
1: That's right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Next week, we are going to take a bye week because Albert will be at Comic-Con. Where can the people find you at Comic-Con, Albert?
0: Uh, I will be at the Beefy, Beefy Poo booth. Um, I don't have a number, but if you happen to be there, just look up Beefy Poo or Beefy Cove, and I will be there, and I will have Pepper with me. So by all means, come <laughs> by. You don't have to say hi to me because I detest eye contact with other people, but you're welcome to say hi to Pepper. (laughs)
1: If people ignore you and just go straight up to Pepper and start talking to her, are you going to do that thing where you speak in a falsetto (laughs) and pretend Uh to be her?
0: (laughs) Uh Oh, hi, everybody. Uh Hey, Pepper. How are you, Pepper? Uh Oh, it's pretty good. I'm (laughs) screaming. I didn't ask for anything more. Huh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely not what I imagined Pepper's voice to
2: actually sound like. (laughs) Uh.
1: All right. I will end this episode with a quote from Love Like Blood, the song by Killing Joke. And I assume that's where this volume got its title. We must play our lives like soldiers in the field. The life is short. I'm running faster all the time. Strength and beauty destined to decay. So cut the rose in full bloom till the fearless come and the act is done.